0: But I pray that you help us to just learn something from it, and that uh, we could give the honor and the glory to you when it's all done. In your precious name I pray, Amen. Okay, if you remember from last week in John chapter number 13, uh, we're there, you know, the night before Jesus dies. This is what's known as the the Lord's Supper. And, you know, I I just thought of this, and... uh, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I'll talk about it. Uh, Carol asked me a question about this, and I don't know why I didn't think about this before. We're, we're dealing with it in John. But um, it's the Lord's Supper here. And the Lord's Supper, something you need to understand about the Lord's Supper, is that the Lord's Supper is the New Testament version of the Passover. In the Old Testament, they kept the Passover, and they would have a feast of unleavened bread, and they would have the Lamb there, and they would slay the Lamb. And we've talked about all that in to. Of an extent in recent uh, weeks what you gotta understand about the Lord's Supper for the New Testament is that Jesus was doing the Lord's Supper on Tuesday night you know by our calendar Wednesday night he would die and really we no longer hold the Passover because that would be blasphemous for us to take a lamb and slay it because Jesus Christ is our lamb slain from the foundation of the world is what the Bible says but we follow the Lord's Supper which is really the feast of the Passover minus the lamb you know, we still have the unleavened bread, and we still have the juice and all those things. And um, it's really our Passover, because the Passover was to remember that one day this Lamb, this Messiah would come. Our Lord's Supper is in order to remember that this Lamb did come, Jesus Christ um, Carol's asking me a little bit about the about the Passover, about the Lord's Supper, and our, our church and what we do in regards to the Passover. and And I don't have time to go into it in, in Corinthians and those other passages. The Bible says that you can do it as you know as often as you like, and, and churches um, can choose to do it as often as they like. And um, you know, if you go to a Catholic church, they'll do it every week. Now, the reason they do it every week is because they believe they have to do it to be saved, so they do it every week. Uh, obviously, that. The Lord's Supper is not part of salvation. That would be adding works to salvation. The Lord's Supper is just like baptism; it's something we do as a picture and in order to remember. It is an ordinance that the church, that the Bible gives us. But you know what? If you never got baptized, you'd still be saved. And if you never took the Lord's Supper, you'd still be saved. But the Lord's Supper is something we do in order to remember what Jesus Christ did. And so, at our church, I learned this from uh, from Pastor Mark Lewis at Fellowship Baptist Church, and I, I really liked it. At our church, we we will take the Lord's Supper, on uh, the week of Easter, uh, and we would just do it once a year, uh, because that's when the Passover would have been, and really it's just taking part of the Passover. Now I know of churches, good churches, who do it on New Year's Eve, there's nothing wrong with that. I know of churches that do it on a quarterly basis, or a monthly basis, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I just like it that way, and that's how we're going to do it, Um, so... Hopefully that answers your question uh, in regards to that. But we, we don't do it every week or, you know, on, on a regular basis. We just do it once a year. And, and I just like that because the Passover once a year, And really that's what is taking over. The, the Lord's Supper is taking over the Passover. But anyway, we come here to the Lord's Supper. When Jesus Christ, and we talked about that last week, we washed the feet and all that, and I really just want to uh, deal with one subject tonight, and then we'll move on to chapter 14 uh, next week, but I want to do a study of the character of Judas Iscariot. We, we get a lot of information about Judas here in, in this chapter, and I want to just point out a few things to you, and just uh, so you can know who Judas was, and... Uh, things that we should be careful of and things that we should uh, take note in regards to Him. Now, uh, look look at verse 1 in John chapter 13. The Bible says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot Simon's son to betray Him. Now I want you to take note of this. The devil had already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Uh, point number one that I want to say, kind of an introduction to Judas Iscariot, is the, the, one of the downfalls of Judas Iscariot is that he allowed himself to be influenced by Satan. And we'll see that later on in the passage. But if you go back to John chapter number 6 and look at verse 70. John chapter number 6 and verse 70. The Bible says, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve and one of you as a devil? So see, from the very beginning when Jesus chose the twelve... Judas Iscariot was already a devil, is what the Bible calls him, is what Jesus calls him. And in verse 71 it says, He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. So, from the beginning... Judas, you know, sometimes people think that that Jesus Christ, because of the way uh, the, the story plays out, where Jesus told Judas, you know, what thou doest do quickly, and that Judas was just doing the will of God, and that Jesus wanted Judas to go betray Him because it was part of the plan. And look, it was part of the plan, and it was the will of God, that obviously that Jesus Christ would be crucified, but Judas was not doing the will of Jesus Christ, okay? From the beginning, before, you know... Jesus Christ ever had that conversation with him, he had already been influenced by the devil and was already in his heart. The Bible tells us in other passages that he'd already gone and asked the, the Pharisees how much, you know, what they would give him to betray Jesus. And he'd already decided that. He was at this point looking for an opportunity to betray him. So you've got to understand, Judas was not a good guy from the beginning. He wasn't a good guy and then uh, ended up being a bad guy. He was a bad guy from the beginning. And you've got to understand that in order to understand. And the whole thing with Judas is scared. Now, if you look down at verse three, we get that story about the washing that we preached uh, last uh, last week, and we'll go ahead and read the verses. Verse three, Bible says, "Jesus, know, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hand, and that He was come from God and went to God, He riseth from supper and laid aside His garments, and took a towel and girded Himself. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith He was girded." Now, if you remember from last week, the washing of feet is a picture of salvation. Alright, in verse 6, Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, does thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part part with me. And I'm not going to preach the sermon from last week, but you see there, he's saying, No, you can't wash my feet. And he's saying, Look, if I don't wash your feet, Peter, you you have no part with me. You can't be saved. Peter, Simon, in verse 9, saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Now I want you to look at verse 10 in John 13. Jesus said to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. So he says, look Peter, if I wash your feet, you're good to go. If I wash any of your feet, you're clean every whit. He said, you're you're, you're saved. But look what he says, And ye are clean, but not all. And in verse 11 it says, what does he mean by not all? He says, for he knew... Who should betray him? Therefore, he said, You are not all clean. What I want you to understand about uh, Judas Iscariot is that when God, when Jesus was saying, Look, Peter, if I wash your feet, you're clean. And he said, And you're all clean, but not all. And he said, And he was talking because he knew you should betray him. What Jesus was saying is that Judas Iscariot was not saved. Okay? Something you're gonna to have to understand about Jesus Iscariot is that he was a bad guy from the beginning. He was a devil when he was chosen. But Jesus said, Have I not chosen twelve and one of you when he chosen he was bad, and at this point he's still he's just not a saved person. He's not saved. The Bible said Jesus said he's not clean. Alright? Now look at uh, verse go down to verse 18, John thirteen, eighteen. And look what it says. Verse 18 says, I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now, Jesus said, Look, I know whom I have chosen, but he said, You know, he said, I speak not of you all, but I know whom I've chosen. Now, there's a doctrine out there, and there's a religion out there that's called Calvinism. And the Calvinists will like to take verses like this and see, uh, you know, well, not verses like this, but they'll, they'll like to make statements like this. And, and just so you understand here's what Calvinism is Calvinists believe that salvation is not a free will when the Bible says you know when, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life and the Bible says whosoever and that means anybody whoever wants to they don't believe that they believe that God chooses who's going to be saved and then God chooses at the same point who's going to be damned to hell and he just chooses okay uh, you're going to be saved you're going to go to hell you're going to be saved you're going to go to hell and You know, the the thing here with Judas Iscariot, that's a good example of this, is that Jesus Christ chose Judas Iscariot. Okay? And And don't you think if God could choose people to be saved... Don't you think He could just force Judas to be saved? But the Bible makes it clear that Judas wasn't saved. And we'll see it here in a few verses later on. Judas was definitely not saved. Jesus chose Judas to be an apostle. Jesus chose Judas to be a disciple. Jesus chose Judas to be a a preacher of the Word of God. But Jesus could not choose Judas for salvation because Jesus and God don't choose anybody for salvation. It's your choice. You must decide uh, to get saved. And Judas... Iscariot never decided to be saved. And that's why he said, you know, ye are not all clean. Because he knew who should betray him. And, and you know, I read that verse, so you don't have to go back to it, but in John six seventy, Jesus answered them, have not I chosen you 12? So he chose all 12 of them, but one of them was the devil. And one of them wasn't saved. And one of them never got saved. So I'm trying to uh, explain to you that just because God... Chose him. Just because Jesus chose him, he wasn't forced to be saved. You still have the choice to be saved. And look, just because, you know, you come to church, or just because you bring your kids to church, or just because, you know, you bring, uh, uh, you, you know, your family around the things of God, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get saved. It's a choice every individual has to make. And every person has to, uh, uh, make that choice. So we're not Calvinists at Verity Baptist Church, and, and, and Jesus wasn't a Calvinist because, you, you, look, if you're going to pick 12 apostles, and he was going to spend three 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 and a half years with them. Don't you think he would just force Judas to be saved? If he could? But the thing is he couldn't. God can't force anybody to be saved. So Judas was a bad guy from the beginning. Judas wasn't saved. Not only that, Judas was prophesied about. If you look at verse 18 again. John 13, 18. The Bible says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. And look what he says. But that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now if you go with me real quickly to Psalm Forty-one in uh, the Old Testament, Psalm forty-one. Look at verse nine. You can look at it real quickly if you want to make note of it. The prophecy that is fulfilled in Judas Iscariot. Usually when. When the Bible, in the New Testament, when there's a prophecy in the New Testament, I like to find it in the Old Testament and I'll make a reference in my Bible. I'll write next to that verse. You know, what I would do in John thirteen eighteen is right next to it, write Psalm 41, 9. And then if you'd want in Psalm 41, 9, right next to it, John uh, 13, 18. That way, when you read through the Bible, you realize, oh, this is a prophecy and it was fulfilled in the New Testament. I think those things are interesting. But if you look at Psalm 41, 9, the Bible says, Yea, my own." Familiar friends in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. So that's a prophecy that David said about Jesus Christ, and the Bible says that that prophecy was fulfilled in Jews Iscariot, because he that eateth bread with me and lifted up his heel against me. If you go with me, stay, keep your finger there in, in Psalm, because I'm going to show you another prophecy, but if you go to the book of Acts, and you look at uh, chapter number one. John, Acts, is the very next book in the book of John, Acts chapter number 1, and you look at verse... I'm sorry, look at chapter 1, look at verse 15. Acts chapter number 1, look at verse 15. The Bible says, "...and in those days Peter stood up in the midst of of the disciples, and said, the number of the names together were about 120. Men and brethren, and this is what Peter was saying, he said, men and brethren, the Scripture uh, must needs have been fulfilled which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning of Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us, and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his vows gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers of Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Aseldema, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written, and here's another prophecy in the book of Psalms let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his uh, bishopric let another take. Now, uh, stay there in Acts. But go back to Psalm, and, and, and if you're if you're interested, you can look at Psalm sixty nine twenty five, and you'll find that prophecy. Psalm sixty nine twenty five, Bible says, "Let their habitation be desolate, and let none dwell in their tents." So, uh, you see there that the Bible uh, is very clear in the fact that it prophesied about Judas, and it told us about Judas, and it told us that this man was going to betray Jesus Christ. Now, something real quick I want to talk about. It back in Acts chapter number one, um, and this has really nothing to do with the sermon, but just so you understand it. It's Somebody asked me about this verse before because they're confused. If you look at Acts one and eighteen, the Bible says, "Now this man, referring to Judas Iscariot." Purchased the field with the reward of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his vows gushed out. And you know, people were, somebody asking uh, me and my wife about that once, and they were like, you know, what is this talking about? It's some crazy thing. You know, don't read into it. All it's saying, if you remember, Judas Iscariot hanged himself after Jesus uh, you know, was uh, condemned there. And he, he, uh, he hanged himself, and they purchased the field with the money that they had given him of that field. And all the Bible is saying that after he had hung himself for whatever reason, I don't know if the rope got loose, somebody cut him off, but when he fell off, he fell fell headlong. So, his head hit the ground first, and he burst asunder. I mean, he's just talking about the way he died. You know, he died being hung, but when he hit the ground, he, you know, he just kind of had an accident, exploded. So don't read into it. Some people think. Some people look at that like, "Oh, is that some sort of a demonic?" You know, uh, you know. We don't need to be reading into it. The Bible has enough crazy things um, without us having to add anything to it. You know. But anyway, go back to John chapter number thirteen, look at verse twenty-one. John thirteen twenty-one. This is, this is the most amazing part of the story of Judas Iscariot that I want you to see in this man, Judas Iscariot. If you look at verse 21 in John chapter number 13 and verse 21, the Bible says, When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And the disciples looked one on another doubting of whom he spake. So the disciples are looking around and they're doubting. They're saying, you know, who is it? Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. This, we know that this to be John, uh, who wrote the book of John. And he's laying on Jesus. And Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him, beckoned to the disciple who was laying on Jesus' bosom, that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? So, you see there, they're confused. Jesus said, hey, one of, us is betray, is, one of you is going to betray me, and they don't know who it is. They're saying, hey, ask Jesus who it is. I mean, they're doubting within themselves. Look at verse 28. The Bible says, Now no man at the table knew, uh, well, actually, look, look at verse 26. Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a stop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the stop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the soft Satan entered into him. Uh, then said Jesus unto him, thou, that thou doest do quickly. Verse 28, And no man at the table knew for one in ten he spake this unto him. So nobody knew that it was Judas Iscariot. Now something for you to understand also, a lot of times you got to study these uh, stories in the Gospels. You know, as you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you'll find that Matthew will have a lot of the same stories obviously as Mark, which will have a lot of the same stories as Luke and John. But the different Gospels will give you different parts of the story. You know, I remember when I was younger and I would read uh, through the New Testament, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd read this account in different Gospels and i thought to myself, man... These disciples must have been like really dumb, you know, because I would read uh, Jesus saying, you know, to whom I give the stop, you know, he it is, and then he'd give the stop to Judas Iscariot, and the disciples were like, who is it, who is it? But when you read John, you understand, John is laying on Jesus, and Peter says to John, hey John, ask him who it is, and pretty much Jesus is telling John, you know, in a private conversation saying, hey look, the person I give the sop to, that's who it is. Okay, so he's not talking to the disciples, you know. The, you know, sometimes we think he's talking to everybody. You know, if he if he was doing that, he might as well have just pointed at him and said, "Hey, it's good Iscariot, scary, You know, that's not what he did. He's talking to John. He's saying, "Look, the man I gave the top to—that's who it is." So he gives him the top, and then everybody's still, you know, they just don't know why he said. And even John, at this point, is just, I'm sure, in amazement, not knowing um, that it was, you know, just couldn't real, they couldn't understand that it was Judas Iscariot. Now, here's a, here's a crazy thing about Judas Iscariot and the life of Judas Iscariot. That nobody at all suspected him. Nobody thought it was Judas. I mean, if you read the other passages, they're saying, Lord, is it I? They're saying, Lord, can I? I mean, they, Peter and, and these guys, they were saying, man, I'm, you know, before they would, they would say Judas, they were even saying, Lord, did I do it? Now, if Judas had like red flags, you know, just these, you know, he'd done some weird things or whatever, you know, I can imagine sitting at the table and when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, you know, wouldn't you think that everybody be like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Judas, you know, we've already seen some red flags, we've already seen some things he's done, but the thing is, nobody said that. They had no idea it, that Judas was the one who was going to betray him, they had no idea what was going on, they completely were just, you know, blindsided by the fact that Judas scared, uh, could do this. Let this be a lesson to you. Because many a person has been hurt very deeply at church. Because we've been taught by preachers, you know, our whole lives, and we've been taught by people our whole lives, that we should just come to church and trust every single individual that comes to church, just because they come here, just because they sit in one of our chairs, just because they put on a tie, or, you know, whatever. Uh, and, And let me tell you something, you don't know, the Bible says that God, Jesus Christ chose 12 disciples and one of them was the devil from the beginning. And you don't know who's sitting next to you. And look, I'm not saying that, obviously I'm not saying anybody here is bad, or I'm not saying that at all. But I'm trying to tell you something, the Bible says that we ought to... Trust God and God only, and you ought not put any confidence in man. Let me read for you a few verses, you don't have to turn to them, but Psalms 4-5. Now look, I have to cut down a bunch of these verses because there are so many of them. I'm just going to read a few of them to you. Psalm 4-5 says this, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness, and put your trust in the Lord. Psalm 31-6 says, I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust... In the Lord. Psalm 37.3 says, Trust in the Lord, and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Psalm 43 says, And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Psalm 73.28 But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord, God, that I may declare all thy works. Psalm 115.10 says, O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Psalm one fifteen eleven says, Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Psalm one eighteen eight says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Psalm 9 says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Psalm one twenty-five one says, a song of degrees, they that trust in the Lord shall be as the Mount of Zion as the Mount of Zion, which cannot be removed. But Abideth forever. Now, look, I, I just picked 10 verses that said this, that use this phrase trust in the Lord. But if I was to take all the verses in the Bible that command you to trust in the Lord or to put your faith in the Lord or to put your confidence in the Lord, I mean, we'd be here all night long because there's so many hundreds and thousands of verses in the Bible that tell you to trust in the Lord. But you know what the Bible never commands you to do? It never commands you to put your trust in a man. Never. You will never find that in the scriptures. The Bible never tells you to trust a person. The Bible never tells you to... Look, you, you shouldn't trust me. Say, you're the pastor of the church. I know. When you come to church here, you should open up your King James Bible, and you should uh, go to the verses, and you should read the Bible, and you should make sure that what I'm preaching to you is in the proper context, because look, I could be lying to you, and look, if I said, oh, just trust me, I'm the pastor, I'd be lying to you, because God never said, trust a man, God never said, trust a pastor, God never said, trust a church member, God said trust in the Lord, and let me tell you something, Jesus Christ was the pastor of probably the greatest church that ever, I mean, they had the greatest pastor there, and he had uh, you know, associate pastor who the Bible says was a devil. You ought not trust anybody just because they come to church. The Bible tells you to command to trust in the Lord. Now let me say this. We ought not go around doubting people and we shouldn't, you know, have this, this attitude about us where we're always just constantly looking at everybody in church and saying, you know, oh, is something, is that a Judas scared? or is that somebody bad? Look, you ought not have that attitude, but you always just should have this attitude that you don't put your confidence in anybody. And let me, let me explain, you said, what does this have to do with me? Well, let me explain a few things to you. Some of the philosophy of every Baptist Church. This reason is one of the reasons, not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons why at Verity Baptist Church, we will never have a children's ministry, a Sunday school type ministry. You say, you know, what is that about? Well, let me explain to you. First, let me say this. i grew up in church my entire life who had Sunday schools and had children's ministries. I have nothing against other churches having Sunday schools and having children's ministries. But let me tell you what the problem is with Sunday schools and children's ministries. Here's the problem. Many a time... You will get a person who seems like they're trustworthy, they seem like they're a great person, they seem like they have this great, you know, you know person that we would never doubt that they'd do anything bad. Like Judas Iscariot. But we don't know that they're a devil from the beginning. And they've been playing a part from the beginning. And look, just pick up a newspaper. And, you know, and I'm telling you, somewhere in America today, there is an article in a newspaper where a child was molested by a Sunday school teacher. Where a child was raped by a youth pastor. Where the child was raped. And here's why. Because you put all these kids, and this is what happens. You come to church and you say, Oh, I, that's a Sunday school teacher. I'm going to trust my child with this person. Look, the Bible says, Do not put your confidence in man. And let me tell you something. At Barrett Baptist Church, you know no child will ever be molested. You know why? Because they will never leave the sight of their parent. Period. Because God gave you those kids. He gave them to you to watch, not me. He gave them for you to take care of, not some Sunday school teacher. And I can't promise you that we will never have a Judas Iscariot. I can't promise you that through that door, some pedophile is going to walk in here and play the part and look like a Christian and look right and then have ulterior motives.
1: So you know how we take
0: care of it? We just put no confidence in man and we put our trust in the Lord. Besides that, show me in the Bible a Sunday school class. You won't find it. You will never find in the Bible where they separated the children from the adults and took them off to a separate room. You won't find it. Let me read for you a verse, Ezra 10.1. Here's what the Bible says. And there's many verses, I just po- p- uh, picked one because to make the point. But Ezra 10.1 says this, Now when Ezra had prayed, and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation. Look what it says, congregation. Does that word sound familiar? You know what the New Testament word for the Old Testament congregation was? Church. Do, do a Bible study. You will find that in the Old Testament, there will be verses that use the word congregation. And in the New Testament, the same verse is quoted, but the word congregation is changed to church. You know what a church is? It's a congregation. It's a group of people. And the Bible says... Israel, a very great congregation, look what it, and listen to what it says, of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. You know that kids are human beings? You know that children need to be under the ministry of the Word of God as well? You know that children can learn from the Bible? You know that children are smarter than we think we, they are? You know that many times children are smarter than adults? You know that children learn the Bible? You know, you think, oh, we need to give them the Bible at their level. You know what? They need the Bible at God's level, because God's the one who wrote it. And look, I have been amazed. I have a four-year-old boy. He's like four years old. He needs, he needs a Sunday school teacher that's going to teach him at his level. You know that my four-year-old son will finish church on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night, and he'll walk up to mommy and say, Mom, Jesus is God. And we think, where did you learn that from? You know where he learned that from? The preaching. He'll, say, he'll ask questions like, Mommy, did Jesus die for our sins? Yes, son. Mommy, did Jesus die for trucks? No, son. <laughs> mommy, did Jesus die for vans? No, son. Did Jesus die for Joel? Yes, son. Hey, you know what? You say, oh, he's four years old. Just, he needs to be out somewhere watching some movie somewhere, looking at some... No, he needs to be under the preaching of the Word of God where his mommy can see him, where his daddy can see him, where he can learn the Bible, and where he's not off in some room somewhere where nobody knows what's going on with some Judas care. The Bible says, put your confidence in God, not in man. Now look, I'm not against anybody having a Sunday school, and I'm not against, you know, obviously, people do what they want to do, and they'll stand before God for it. But at Verity Baptist Church, we will never have a ministry where children are lent out to an adult that's not their parent. Because look, I don't want my kid being influenced by something Judas Iscariot. And the disciples, who spent three and a half years, and they weren't coming to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night with Judas. They were living with Judas. They were spending 24 hours, 7 days a week with Judas. And they didn't know, you know, that he was a devil. So you ought not put your confidence in man. And you ought to be very careful, you know. And at church, you know, if you let somebody borrow money at church, you let somebody, you know what? If you're going to do that, I'm telling you right now, don't come to me crying if they rip you off. I'm going to tell you, well, you should have been here, you know, and listened to what the Bible says, because you should rest in the Lord. You know what the Bible says? God said that you should lend... Not expecting to receive. You know, that, you know, that's what I... When I get somebody... Somebody says, oh, can I borrow a uh, hundred bucks? Uh, this is why I, can I I look at my finances and say, can I survive without the hundred bucks? Because if I can't survive without the hundred bucks, I'm not giving it to you. Because if I'm going to let you borrow it, I'm just going to expect that you're not going to pay me back. Because you, know you know what Christians are famous for? Is not being good business people. Period. You know, that's true. And, and that's what Christians are just famous for. Is If you do business with a Christian, you're probably going to get ripped off. And I, look, I've said that before and still done business with a Christian and still got ripped off. So you just learn from your mistakes. But look, I'm telling you, don't have a bitter attitude. Don't go around looking at everybody. You know, love everybody, care for everybody, but don't trust anybody. Just trust God. Put your confidence in God and uh, He'll take care of you. Anyway, let's get off that point. Go back to John chapter number 13, look at verse 26. Something, another thing that's interesting about Judas Iscariot is this. In Judas Iscariot in John chapter number 13, and look at verse 26. The Bible says, Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop Satan entered into him, then said Jesus unto him, Thou thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Now what did he go out to do? Well, if you look at John chapter number 12, in verse 4, we learn a characteristics of Judas um, that is played out later uh, in the life of Judas. If you look at John 12, 4, we preached about this before, but if you look at the verse it the Bible, it says, then says one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, uh, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. So you see there, Judas Carey had a problem with the love of money. And again, he probably seemed like the most trustworthy one. And they said, here Judas, you take care of the money. And what was he doing the whole time? Just stealing from the church. If you'd like to go with me to Matthew chapter number 26 and look at verse 14. Matthew chapter number 26 and look at verse 14. We're almost done. I'm not preaching very long. Um, there's only so long you can preach about Matthew Judas Iscariot. Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew chapter number 26, look at Verse 14. Matthew 26.14 The Bible says, Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priest. This is before John 13, okay? Just so you understand the context. Went unto the chief priest and said unto them, What will you give me that I will deliver him unto you? And they uh, covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. So the Bible says that Judas... Decided to betray Jesus Christ because they offered Him thirty pieces of silver. And the Bible tells us that before that he was stealing from the church the whole time. Judas had a problem with money and money was, is what drove him to betray our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you don't have to turn there but I'll read this verse for you. 1 Timothy 6 10 says this, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Now notice it doesn't say that money, you know, this, this verse is usually misquoted. People like to say, money is the root of all evil. The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. I mean, there are very rich people in the Bible who could, take, could handle money and not be tempted. But the love of money is the root of all evil. And you, we ought to be careful as Christians to not be these type of people who are just always searching for a dollar, always looking for the next, you know, uh, money or fortunes we can get. Look, the love of money, if you love money, It's going to lead you to the root of all evil. And it definitely was the root of the evil which, you know, betrayed Jesus Christ, because he betrayed him for money. Are you there? Are you still in Matthew chapter number 26? Look go go to Matthew 27. Look at this. I'll show you something else about Judas Iscariot. Matthew 27, look at verse 3. These are just interesting things to me about Judas Iscariot. But look at Matthew chapter number 27, look at verse 3. Matthew chapter number 27, look at verse 3. This is a very interesting verse, I think, about Judas. The Bible says, Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, look what it says, repented himself, and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. The Bible says that Judas, when he saw that Jesus was condemned, repented. Now let me say this, funeral Baptists all over America, and Christians all over America, have just been, you know, completely tricked into believing this doctrine of repentance, where people believe that you've got to repent of your sins. Um, and there's varying degrees of this, but they believe you've got to repent of your sins in order to be saved. Some people will say you have to actually turn away from your sins. I mean, you got to uh, you know, quit smoking, quit drinking, quit adultery, quit fornication before you can get saved. That's the extreme end of it. Some people will say, well, you don't have to quit you know, repenting, you know, you don't have to repent of all your sins. You just have to feel sorry for your sins and and, and want to uh, repent of your sins. Well, look, that's a bunch of hogwash. The Bible says over and over and over and over again, we've seen it in John, you know, I mean, we'll see it 90 times in the book of John by the time we get done. The Bible says that salvation is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that salvation is, belief, and that's a quote from Acts by the way, but the Bible says that it's believe. What saves you is believing. He that believeth on Him is not but he that believeth not is condemned already what saves you is believing what condemns you is believing and repenting of sin does nothing for you now look I don't have time to preach about it if you're interested in what we believe about repentance we got a sermon on the back it's called Misleading Repentance listen to it and it will explain to you exactly what we believe about repentance but I just want to show you this example Bible says that Judas repented but it did nothing for him repenting of your sin did it save him? The Bible never tells us Judas got saved. In fact, it, it, it becomes even more clear we'll see it in the next point that Judas was not saved and Judas died and went to hell but he repented. He felt bad and it didn't do anything for him. You know why? Because repenting doesn't save you. Believing saves you. And you know, there's a... Some of you may have not even heard of it, but there's a, a real famous uh, a track publication called Chick Tracks, and they put out these uh, tracks where they try to get people saved with these like comic book type things. And I was reading one of those Chick Tracks where they were they were doing like a, a comic strip, and it was uh, this guy in prison. You know, I think he was in prison or some sort of a, something like that. And there was a soul winner with him. And this guy said to him, you know, what must I do to be saved? Now, obviously, if you know the Bible, you know that this is a very familiar setting. Because in the book of Acts, there's a story of Paul being in prison. And the, you know, soldier there that was standing watch. And then if you remember the story, there was an earthquake. All the gates fell open. And the soldier thought everybody ran away. He took a sword. He was going to kill himself. Paul said, do thyself no hurt. He said, we're all still here. He said, don't commit suicide. And the guy, the Bible says, he walked in and he saw Paul and he saw uh, uh, the people that they hadn't left you know that they hadn't gone there and you know by the way the whole time before this he's listening to them sing you know praises to God and sing all these hymns and this man the Bible says that he walked in you know shaking and he fell on his knees and he asked Paul this question he said Paul you know he didn't say Paul but he said what must I do to be saved now in this kick publication they have this little character and he has the same question he says to the soul winner, He says, What must I do to be saved? Now, in the Chick track, the soul winner responds this, Repent. And then he says something else, you know, and get saved or whatever. In the Bible, Paul says this, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So, you know, we, people have gotten this emphasis in their hands that, you've got to repent of your sins, there's got to be this repentance or sin. And it's not true. And Judas repented. He felt bad. I mean, he... The Bible says he repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. He gave him back the money. He said, I don't want this. He said, I'm sorry I did this. He said, I feel bad that Jesus is going to die. But look, let me tell you something. We have no account of his salvation. We're not told that he ever got saved. We're not ever told that he confessed with his mouth. We're not ever told that he got the Holy Ghost. We're, never told. We're not told that he went to heaven. Why? Because repenting doesn't save you. Now when you get saved, if you repent of sin, hey, praise the Lord. But simply repenting of sin, you know there's hundreds of people all over America who are giving up alcohol tonight and they're not saved. They're just going through some 12-step program. And they're giving up drugs, and they're giving up gambling, and they're giving up all sorts of things, and repenting of all sorts of things. But they're not saved, because Jesus Christ, in John 14, said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So you can repent all you want, Judas, but until you get saved, you're not going to go to heaven. And I think that's interesting, that Judas Iscariot repented himself, felt very bad, and gave the money back. But we have no account of his salvation. But look at John chapter number 13, and look at verse 26. We'll get off of that subject. I'll show you one more thing. This is another very interesting thing about, uh, Judas Iscariot. And this is the similarities. Uh, between Judas Iscariot and the coming Antichrist. The similarities between Judas Iscariot and the coming Antichrist. In John chapter number 13, the Bible says, in verse 26, Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give the sop, when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, look what it says, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest too quickly. Now, first of all, we know that Judas isn't saved not only because Jesus said, you know, he's not clean, but also because Satan entered into him. The Bible says that a Christian can never be demon-possessed. You know, being demon-possessed is a true thing. It's a real thing. You know, it's not just something that uh, Hollywood puts out. The Bible talks about people being demon-possessed. The Bible says that we we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against uh, powers and against evil in high places and and stuff like that. So there are demons and there are, you know, dark powers out there. And Judas Iscariot, the Bible says that Satan himself entered into him as he went out to betray Jesus. So we know that he was saved because the Bible says, Great He that is in us. You know, than he that is in the world. So, uh, if, if Jesus would have been inside of him, if, if the Holy Ghost would have been inside of him, Satan would have been, there would have been no room for Satan. But Satan was able to enter in, because uh, he wasn't saved. Luke 22.3 says this, you have to turn there, it says, Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve, and he went his way, and communed with the chief priests and captains, how he might betray him unto, unto them. John 17.12, you have to turn there, I'll just read it for you, but listen listen carefully. John 17.12 says this, While I was with them in the world, this is Jesus speaking, He says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in my name, those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, and this is what Jesus said, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now if you study John 17, you're going to see there, that He says, The only one I lost, God is Judas Iscariot. And he referred to him as the son of perdition. Okay? Second Thessalonians chapter number 2 and verse 3 says this. This is now uh, uh, referencing the Antichrist. The Bible says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that they shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So, it's an interesting thing, that the Bible calls Judas Iscariot the son of perdition. The Bible also calls uh, the Antichrist the son of perdition. The Bible says that Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. And I believe, and I don't have time to preach it. I preach the whole sermon on it. You can listen to it online if you want to. But I believe that that the Antichrist himself gets possessed by Satan himself. Which is why he's referred to as the son of perdition. So, very interesting things about Judas Iscariot there. He's, you know, I believe that Satan himself, you know, people are demon-possessed by all sorts of, you know, fallen angels. But I believe that only two people have ever and will ever be demon-possessed by Satan himself. And that was Judas Iscariot, the son of perdition, and the Antichrist, the son of perdition. Now, if you remember, uh, John 3.16, it says, you know, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish... Remember, it says the word perish. That word perish is talking about going to hell. It's the same word perdition. And the Bible calls Judas Iscariot the son of perdition. You know what that means? Is that there was no hope for Judas. He was what the Bible would call a reprobate. Same with the Antichrist. A reprobate. He crossed a line. He rejected God too many times. And God said, fine, I reject you. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, Judas Iscariot had to have been rejecting Jesus Christ every day of his life. I mean, he spent three and a half years with Jesus. Every day, he saw him do miracles. Every, every day, he saw him, you know, teach lessons and, and preach the gospel. And every day, he rejected God, rejected God, rejected God, and got to find Judas. I reject you. You're a devil from the beginning anyway. You're not saved. You'll never get saved. You're the son of perdition. And Satan entered into him. Say, so why did you spend all this time uh, talking about Judas? Because I'm, I'm trying to explain to you that there can be a very evil, wicked person in our church one day. And look, I don't think there's anybody like that here today, you know, if you have to, if I have to, you know, wage my house on it, I I, I would say, no, everybody here is a good person. But the truth of the matter is that I don't know that. And you don't know that. You don't know if I'm a good person? I don't know if you're a good person. And look, I love you, and I'm glad you're here, and and we should love each other, and we should have one accord, but we should always remember to put our trust in God okay, don't, you know, and that's why I'm against a lot of this, you know, just dropping off your kids you know, people, sometimes people go to churches to find a babysitter, they just find some random person, went to church and said, hey, you want to watch my kids and look, you know, my kids are the, the greatest possession I have and, and they're, they're, they're worth more to me than, than anything in the world and, you know one date night is not worth dropping them off somewhere and having them you know, be scarred for the rest of their life, and I'm not saying anybody would ever do that, but I'm just, here's the thing I'm never going to take that chance because I don't know who's a Judas, and and I believe the Bible gives us these lessons for a reason, and we ought to learn. Look, you can be in the Church of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about the Latter Day Saints. I'm talking about Jesus, the Jesus Christ, and and be in, and there could be a Judas Iscariot in it, and we ought to learn from that, and you ought to learn. Look, put your trust in God, put your confidence in God, love God. And love your fellow church member, but only trust God. And you know what happens? People put their trust in God. People put their trust in the pastor. The pastor will fail them. pastor will get out because of sin. pastor will do something bad. And, you know, people will go off into the world and say, Oh, I can't, I can't live for God now because my pastor failed me. You know what was their problem? Is They were putting their confidence in a man. If they were to put their confidence in God, then they would say, Hey, man, that's too bad. I really like that guy. But I'm going to keep serving God. That's how, you know, that's how you can tell when somebody's confidence is in God. When people around them mess up, when people around them do wrong, but they just keep going, right? Because they're saying, hey, I'm not living for God because of my pastor. I'm not living for God because of my spouse. I'm not living for God because of it. I'm living for God because of God. But when people put their confidence in a man, then that man, if he fails you, then you just got failed. You know? So... Uh, just be careful with that. Don't trust people, you know, especially with your kids. Be very you know, and, and uh, pick up a newspaper. And you're going to see. People get molested because they, you know, kids get molested because they're dropped off at daycares, they're dropped off at schools, Christian and public. They're dropped off with living boyfriends that aren't the father. They're dropped off with strangers who look like they're a good person and then it turns out they're not. Because, Judas Iscariot's walk in, and they put on a real good show, and you can't tell the difference. You know, if I, if, if my, uh, you know, if, if uh, I'll tell this, you know, if you find yourself in a situation where your spouse is not with you, I'd be very careful who you let your kids around. Because you don't know who is who. You say, well, this, this is a good church person. Could be a Judas Iscariot. So, be careful who you trust. And Put your confidence in God. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our church. And Lord, I ask that you just please... Uh...